0: Hello, my name's Russell Howcroft. I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panellist, and I currently co-host a radio show on 3AW. And I'm partner and chief creative officer at the Sayers Group. And I'm host of this podcast. Welcome to Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much in life starts with, yep, a good conversation. And that's what we're going to do right here Today, the great and the even greater is uh, basically the plan here. We've got Ahmed Ahmed Hassan with us today. So Ahmed is a co-founder of YA or the Youth Activating Youth or Youth Activating Youth organisation, His co-founder. He's also the reigning champion. Um, he's the Victorian Australian of the Year. Um, youth, Victorian youth. young Young Australian. Yeah, but now, so hello Ahmed. How are you? <laughs> I'm very, I'm very, very, very good. So, who beat you? Um, a very incredible
1: young man from Sydney, okay. uh, New South Wales. Um, established the Streetside Medics, um, yeah. which is an incredible um, service for the community. It was the judging panel full of New South Wales people.
0: Well, he came out from Scott Morrison's electorate. So, <laughs> <laughs> good man. That's where we're going here. Okay, so before we get really stuck into it, what we like to do, um, Ed, is in order just to get you into a a, a conversation mode. Freddie, who's producing, is just going to play you some sound. Right, we just want you to kick back, relax, maybe even close your eyes. Just listen to the following sounds, and then I'll ask you where you'd like to be. That's been prompted by these. Nice work, Freddie. Okay, Ahmed, what's your thinking there? So you and I are going to have a chat for the next—I don't know—twenty-five minutes, uh, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, forty-five minutes. So where would you like to be? Just what, what, what sound evoked the most comfort for you? The forest. Okay, we're in the forest. Good man. Thank you. We're going to play a bit of forest. Glorious. So we're probably walking. Correct. Okay, so we're walking as we're talking. Always a great way. I find, in particular for blokes to have a conversation, um, you and I are looking at each other in the eye. It's hard for blokes. I've always thought that playing golf with men is awesome because you're walking side by side and as a result you get to have a good conversation. So as we're walking through the forest, we're probably side by side because it's going to be hard for us to look each other in the eye because otherwise one of us is walking backwards. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, side by side. <laughs> okay. So we are walking side by side in the forest, un real okay so let's get stuck into it so you are the victorian youth um australian of the year congratulations um uh, sincerely it's a, an, an amazing achievement so you're obviously doing something good out there so tell us about what got you the uh, the award
1: oh thank you for having me um it was um the work that i've done over the last eight years uh, through Youth Activating Youth, an organisation I established or co-founded when I was 18 years of age. Um, I can wholeheartedly say I didn't know much about setting up an organisation, but mm-hmm. we just wanted to do something at the time. So, yeah, that's why I um, got recognised as the 2022 Victorian Young Australian of the Year. Yep. Great. Um, it's the work that we do to empower the most vulnerable young Victorians. mm mm-hmm. Um, to help them overcome barriers um, whether it be in employment, whether it be with education mm. health and well-being and making sure that we rehabilitate our most vulnerable mm. when they come out of the youth detention system okay um, which normally is seen as the very complex basket in our state and amongst our providers, service providers and we thrive in that area of rehabilitating the most difficult or young people who have been branded as the most complex
0: in the state. Okay, so when you are 18, you said, I just wanted to to do something. Correct. So do something presumably because you had witnessed a need.
1: Correct. So I, well, it was through my school that I've seen um, young people falling through the cracks because service providers would come and try to do things before or after school or during school yeah that wouldn't really connect with the young people that needed it most yeah therefore there was a disconnection it wasn't it wasn't having an impact so you had to, so they used people like myself who was up and coming young leader to really connect with that service provider and the most vulnerable young people and connect the services. So I was almost volunteering and learning my way in year year 10, year 11, year 12. Yeah. And by the time I finished high school, I realised this is what I want to do. I am passionate about it. I think I can do a good job. Yeah. So the following week after my exams,
0: I just set up the (laughs) (laughs) organisation. I love it. Good man. Okay, but... You called yourself an up and coming young leader. Is that a, is that when you look back on it or at the time you knew you knew that there was leadership um in you? I thought I had elements of it. Um
1: and if I was guided, um and you know, your guidance can come from a lot of places, whether it be family, whether it be friends, whether it be mentors, if I was guided by the right people, I, I think I could be a good person in, in five or or
0: five to ten years. I which think you well Guided by the right people, you can be... I reckon you're a good person right from the very beginning is what I'm imagining. Now, let's go back to the very beginning. You're born in Melbourne? Born in Melbourne. Okay, and your parents, are th- uh, Eritrea and Somalia? Yep. So, so tell us about their journey and then getting here and then all of a sudden being in amongst this, you know, five million person city. Yeah, so the journey began
1: um, with my grandfather who arrived here in the 80s. Um, he came here as a lawyer from Italy and... Um, he came here with nothing. Um, he established himself um, and started to work at the Royal Children's Hospital as an um, interpreter, interpreting for many of the migrants that were coming. Okay, so in what language or languages? Uh, you could start with
0: Italian. <laughs> yeah, um, Italian. You could start with Somali. Yeah, um, so, so Somalia had Italian – so it was at Somalia – Colonised by the Italians? Correct. Right. We yes. only gained
1: independence in 1960.
0: Uh-huh. Um, and therefore, we, we have a lot of their
1: culture and a lot of, um, you know, the, the food, the, yep. the, the way you say things. There's a lot of that left over and, and still, still in the people. And there's yes. a lot of people,
0: well, my dad and the older generations actually, most of them speak Italian or I understand it flauntly. Uh, amazing. Okay. So, he's, he's doing Italian, he's doing Somalian, he's doing English. Arabic. Arabic. And Tigrinya I don't even know and what Tigrinya is. It's an uh, Eritrean language. Eritrean. Okay. Yeah. So thank you. Now, Eritrea and Somalia. Give me the map. Uh, East Africa. Yes, they're, they're just neighbors. neighbours. Neighbours. Yeah. Yep. You wouldn't even separate. I <laughs> know uh, uh, exactly. And and are they traditionally friendly neighbours? Uh, yep. Yes. Yeah. To a large degree. Okay. And so they decided to. Your family decided to come over to Australia. Correct. So what drove that? Well, civil war broke out in the early 90s um,
1: and therefore a lot of people were displaced yes um, my parents and their families obviously knew each other back home um, so my parents actually got married here when they settled in the early 90s my father came on his own my mum came with her family but they knew each other prior prior yeah yep. and um, they moved here so they got married um, as soon as they've obviously had to get things right in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, I think by 93 they were married here um, and 96 they had me yeah. uh, as their first child. Um, and we grew up in the northern suburbs. Um, growing up, you know, I knew how difficult life was uh-huh. because, well, not really experiencing the, the the difficulties, but I saw the challenges in my parents because they had to establish themselves yeah. but also take their kids to school Um making sure that you know, there was four of us. Um, Dad worked 16 hours being a taxi driver. Yeah. Um, you know, you have that, you know, always that passion and that drive that you s- you see where your father's come from. You see where the struggles he's gone through. Yeah. Um, and I used to say that because we only saw him, you know, once or twice a week on the weekends. Yeah. Um, but he'll be out there working every night, yeah. uh, putting in the hours, and mum tried her best. They they tried their best in the beginning to start a business. So they had their first business in Sydney Road, Brunswick, not too far from where my office is currently today. Yeah. Um, and they had that, you know, it was it first East African, it used to be called Simba Cafe. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, they used to have East African dishes. My mum always loved to cook. Um, yeah. yep. And I think that's the best way to really express themselves for many migrant communities. So mum uh, ran that until... You know, she had the third child, and uh, the, the, my, my brother, my youngest brother, and and then they said, "Look, um, it's getting a bit too difficult." So, yes. obviously, raising us, mm-hmm. but then she went back to TAFE and tried to reestablish herself. Yeah. Um. All along, you know, we went, we grew up in the northern suburbs. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate because of the sacrifices my parents made in terms of working overtime you know, trying many different things. Like, I can never accuse my parents of never trying
0: something. Right. Because they they always tried it, regardless of how difficult the challenges. were. So let, let's get into it. Um, okay, when I was growing up, um, mid-70s, a lot of money went into what was called multicultural Australia. And there was a big, there was an investment, if you like, in, in trying hard to change the culture. Yep. Um, government investment, I'm talking about. And I, I reflect on that and I think, Hang on, we don't really talk about investment in multicultural Australia anymore. So, is that a good or a bad thing? Um, Well, it's it's
1: how you look at it, and 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 we where you choose to speak about it and and raise that. You know, we still need that investment in multiculturalism because at the same time, people are not outright, you know, distancing themselves, but there is you know racism, unconscious bias, still. and I think we, we need to do we need to do everything we can to strengthen multiculturalism because it's what we all rely on to have a thriving society. Yes, yeah. it's, it's the fabric of our nation. If you look at Victoria, you can't walk a couple of hundred meters without bumping into someone from different cultures, yeah. and and that's who we are as a state and and as a country. And as much as that rhetoric of division, hatred, uh, isol- isolating. Different groups, um, it will only come back to haunt us because we want those members from different countries and societies to participate in our economy and be part of what we have going for all of us because that means we are all doing well, not only certain sections of the community.
0: And then, you know, the pandemic brought that to light. Oh, yeah. So when I um, got a job in the UK, so this is like late 80s. Um, and they said, "Oh, there's that—that's a—that's a Australian fella over there." So, and they said, "So he will be r- sexist and he will be racist." Um, and they pinned it on me before they even—well, before I really even opened my mouth, actually. Um, and I remember them saying it about me. And as you can tell, I remembered it, and I wasn't yep. very pleased. But what what they were doing was reflecting a stereotype that they believed that our country sort of, you know, pushed out into the world. How are we travelling on those things now?
1: Oh, I think um, things shift, and, I, and the last time, you know, w- when when you look at communities and just the general sentiment um, of of society in general, I think we have learnt to be more accepting, and we are learning every day it's 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 a journey like Uh i I see this as a journey uh, and i see this as a journey where you bring people on board not push them away as much as um you know i used to hate it growing up and and seeing that you know if you know the two things that i had was you know you're black and you're muslim and those were the two most things that were hated on 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 media you know every night as a media executive you would have known you would have seen it um you know there's a bombing or there's a shooting, is a terrorist, Muslims, you know, they need to fix their faith and all that. Yep. And if it was a black man, he was already guilty before, you know, he was, you know, stood before a judge or, yep. you know, so so seeing that was very difficult and growing up, I always wanted to change the perceptions and bring people closer, yep. bring, have ambassadors who are going to be, leaders in a way where they're going to open the doors and actually invite, you know, public figures, people with influence mm-hmm. to, to, to be part of the journey because so many of those people are just, you know, put away. So, and, and why I say that is in 2017, 16, um, I saw that with young males of African background who were struggling, who, who were crying for help, yep. being branded gangs, thugs, yes, and for a political goal and as a young person who was you know I was 19 20 at the time struggling to to see young people that are, we were working with being on the front page of the newspapers in melbourne in australia yeah prime minister saying you know th- these are these are real gangs you know you, then your home affairs minister coming out and saying it's not safe to go out for
0: dinner yes
1: you know you're isolating a whole community like, and then for what
0: is that the, the current? Th- is that the current leader of the co of the Liberal Party? Who said that? Correct. The opposition. Yeah. So when we when we um, well, when you go past the courts up there in uh in William Street in the city, uh, there's a there's a beautiful statue of Justice, and um she's she's holding a scale and okay. she's holding a sword and she's blindfolded. So was the was the well, in our town in our city, was did Justice have a blindfold on? Well, you, you – in regards to – my suge- What I'm suggesting is that perhaps what was happening is that people were looking at the shape, the colour, the religion when making decisions about whether people were guilty, not guilty or culpable. Absolutely. People right.
1: were – you know, it, it was if, – if he looks
0: of a certain appearance then, you know, so, he, he ought so, to be charged, judged yeah. um, in a certain way. Yeah. So justice didn't have a blindfold on. No. Right. So how are we going now? Things are improving. Um things still we still
1: see um gaps you know that we need to work towards in closing. Uh-huh. Um bringing you know the youth justice system is is a particular area of interest that are we're working as a community youth activating youth. Yeah. We take a particular interest in that because Our main goal is breaking the cycle of disadvantage. Okay. And breaking the cycle of disadvantage is obviously very broad, um, but it goes to housing. It goes to employment. It goes to better education. And we try to address as much, you know, you've got to look at the contributing factors that contribute to disadvantage, which is, you know, making sure that everyone's got a safe home, um, making sure that everyone's got a house or, or shelter, you know, education, good education employment getting an opportunity to get your foot in the door Mm -hmm. which is what we try to help young people overcome and and get that opportunity too many young people post-covid are struggling with with education coming back into the education system their parents couldn't help them study from home nor did they have the relevant technology internet or everything we deem as essential in our homes they didn't have that so they're already starting way behind many others yeah and when they come into the education system and they can't keep up with their peers, the school will, ha- will be left with no choice just to tell that young person that they're no longer able to keep up, so they should look at a different alternative. Mm-hmm. And that alternative, that young person doesn't have an advisor at home. It doesn't have, you know, the, 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 the support networks that would guide them into a TAFE opportunity or guide them into employment or do something part-time. They end up, you know, going into antisocial behaviour yep. and being back on the streets, not in a job or education, which it puts young people in a very difficult position. Yeah.
0: So Ahmed, you you often say he. Um, so give us the split on who you're dealing with, he's versus she's. So you're looking at, you know, mostly with our justice program,
1: it's 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 males. Yeah. Um, well, ninety ninety nine percent of them are males. You yeah. only get a few young women that we we deal with. Yep. Um with with we've got a girls' leadership program, um, empowering young women from diverse backgrounds, whether they wear a headscarf or not, but providing leadership opportunity, building capacity, developing in, them into powerful individuals, then they lead others. So people say, I can do it because I don't care if I've got a headscarf or I'm of a different colour, opportunity is opportunity, I'm gonna access that. So we've got that, um, we do employment. We work with employers to, to to provide jobs. We've got internship work that we do with the with the Victorian Chamber of Commerce, yeah. um, too far from here where we're doing this podcast. So we work with a range of partners to make sure that we are able
0: to bring opportunities to the most disadvantaged communities. I wanted to help you on a very simple um, choice of language, choice of words, because I want to ask you. Um, I have a view that the city of Melbourne, the CBD, when I walk around the streets, I don't see enough black faces or should I say I don't see enough coloured faces. I'm not sure what the right language is, in inverted commas, these days. Enough coloured faces. I I don't believe I see enough coloured faces. So, and it's for all of our, it's for the city's benefit to have that multicultural, those coloured faces because, of course, it adds to life correct so how is part of your is part of what you're doing getting people to feel like they're they're welcome or is that not part of the of what YAY is up to making people feel they're welcome mm.
1: is everything we do yes. um is, is about bringing people together yeah. at the end of the day um, we can't be you know leaving people out of you know what we do and they've got to participate in every facet of society we can't just say um multiculturalism only works in the suburbs where you know either the west or the north and everywhere else and the CBD should exclude them we should have everyone working together and I want to see more faces back in the city and as you know the Melbourne Fashion Week and the footy finals and um the racing and everything else that's coming up in our city we want those faces back we want those people coming back into the city whether it be through jobs events uh, working in different industries you know we, we need these people back no matter what color they are absolutely yeah um, and you shouldn't feed them um, you should approach them <laughs> yes and, and say hello
0: and, and welcome them e- exactly exactly so I want to ask you to take me through a, a, a case study or two just think of a person an individual um, someone that you've been on a journey with, yep, so that you can really help the audience understand what youth activating youth does. Correct. Yeah. Um, so
1: there's a young person. I'm not going to name them. Um, they've they, they, they were in school um, and they struggled with school. And you know we, we saw that. Um, we were informed by the family. Um, and I'm going to mention what our wraparound service looks like. Yeah. 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 And. We tried to work between the young person and the school, which we weren't able to address. And what we did was that young person started to really fall off because he was engaging with other young people who weren't also in school or in a job. Um, And he got into trouble with the system, um, was involved in a crime and therefore went into the youth justice facility, which there's one in Parkville for younger. So how young are we talking here? Uh, You're talking about year 11, 12, all the way to 17. Uh And then 17 to 21 or 22 would be in Marlesbury Youth Justice, which is out of Victoria. Um, And what we do was we worked with this young man inside the facility to rehabilitate him. We represented him in court. We provided the support required and and tried to make sure that we said that we'd, we'd make you know, we'd guide him through the process of, you know, rehabilitating himself and trying to get back into either education, training or or, or a job. And what we've done was that he came out, um, really wanted to get back into, you know, the system. Sometimes when you go in, you connect with other of um, course, yes. y- uh, people. We've got specialist skills and, <laughs> and networks and, and your networks just grow. Yes, And, um, you know, and then it was very difficult because there's a lot of um, incentives offered when you know you, you engage with the wrong crowds right. and incentives can be many things okay and you know to to push a young person away from that lifestyle is quite difficult so what we've we've had to do was we have to be very creative and innovative with our with our program and intervention and, our, and, and intervention <laughs> absolutely um so we we created a a music studio because many of these young people have a passion to actually um become rappers but we always advise them you can't all become rappers some
0: of you's got to be sound engineers some of you's got to be well that's no that's right yeah Yeah. there is there is an industry it's not everyone has to be front of stage right because a lot of there's a lot to the staging of it sorry go ahead yeah be a backup whatever do do
1: something but um don't be all trying to be um rappers so (laughs) What we So we have a music studio that st- they can stay till like 11, 12 o'clock at night and they, they get supervised and that's part of a process because we know these young people are not going to come to the office at 8 o'clock in the morning uh-huh. and then I'm going to come at 11. Yeah. They're going to come at 12, 1 o'clock yeah. and ease into the day. So what you want to do is you want to keep them engaged throughout um, the day and make sure you provide the food. Right. But also whilst they're in your um, care In in the organization, what we want to do is also pull them aside and offer that one to one mentoring. You know, do you need help with rehabilitation with alcohol and drugs? Do you Um. need, you know, mental health specialists? And we don't have to tell anyone because there's a certain stigma that a lot of young people, if they go through a mental health or they talk to a psychology, that, you know, they get branded as the one that's, you know, who's got a few bolts loose and stuff like that. In the sandpit. Yeah. So we just try to say, look, you know, it's between you and me. Yeah. No one will know about it. Just access the help that you need yep. so that you can you can make your parents proud that you what you promised is what you do you know what I mean and what we had was young people slowly quietly accessing services when they would never ever do that yeah. and what we did was we you know we were there present so that they never they didn't get handballed to another service so that we we were there in the room and we saw through it. I so like that. So I like that because they can normally often de- see themselves as like a, like you make me like a
0: footy, you passing me around the shop. Right. You, a term you used earlier in the in our conversation was a basket of services. I think Correct. that yeah. yeah. So so a, an individual they get thrown around within the basket to all different services. Correct. And so you guys connect as the connector. Correct. Yeah. So the ongoing person that is guiding them through the so-called services. Yep. So, you, because we can't, we don't have the resources to have
1: homelessness support, we, you can't have drug and alcohol, right. um, and, and all the very mental health, you can't have all that in the in one shop. So what we've right. realised is, we'll work with specialist agencies, but what we'll do is we've got the cultural sensitivity and the, and the tailored approach, we know, yeah. you give us your specialist knowledge. Uh, and we'll sit in the room and we'll tell you when it's too far.
0: I love it. So that is, um, in the diplomatic world, they'd call that a Sherpa. Correct. Yes? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. I think that is just such a, it's a simple thought, and yet it's a thought which I think everyone would be able to get their head around. You you, you wrap your arms around a individual that needs help to guide them through the system yep. and ensure that when they get out at the other end, what happens then? So
1: what? W- so this is the part where I'm going to, is that they've come out, they're now engaging with us. So what we do is we slowly... It takes any young person that comes out, if they've gone into the justice system, it takes anywhere between 12 to 24 months. Employees are not going to take the risk with someone who's come out of the prison system uh-huh. um, and, you know, take them on board because they said, it's going to cost my bottom line and I'm not going to babysit an individual at work, which yeah, I can no. understand. I yeah, sort of, I f- sort of yeah. Because there, there, there are some good employers who said, look, I'm not going to overlook a young person's criminal history provided that you come here you know twice or three times a week and supervise them because i can't wait for them to come in like if they don't come on time it's not okay. my can't babysit them so. so so it's something else that you guys will do oh absolutely this is what we do is, is that we, we 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 find employers working with the great people like the vic chamber the australian industry group and in the unions to actually find us you know employees within their in their yeah. in their networks to to give to us and say, "Look, we've got shortages. Look, we'll help you
0: out." But they go, "Just make sure that they're supervised and that they're serious about a job." Got it. Got it. So, so, so some some facts for me. So, um, let's say you start at eleven. You've got eleven year olds. Yep. Um, when when do you say to that individual? Uh, um, we are called the Youth Activating Youth um, Program. Therefore, you're twenty seven. Uh, you got to deal with someone else. I mean, do you have a do you have a ceiling on what age?
1: With the ceiling. You normally can't push people away no. if they if they come to you and say, look, you know, I'm struggling. Th- 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 there are times, look, families come to us and say, look, my son's about to come out. He's 29. Um, can you, you know, take him to footy on the weekend? And I'm like, look, <laughs> he's 29. I think he should be... Yeah. Like, w- we're happy to provide guidance, but it, it becomes very difficult because yeah. um, a 29-year-old, most of the times what you find is, is fixed in their ways and you just... And what I find works, and we've seen what works in, in when we've tried it, is just put them directly in a job. You've you've just got to make sure that
0: that they've got some sort of responsibility. Something weighs them down, or else they get too distracted. Okay, uh, more numbers for me. So, how many people are you helping, dealing with, managing, sherpering? How many of those? Oh, we deal with over five hundred a year. And amazing. Do you, uh, is there premises? So. Uh, uh, individuals that feel that they'd like to connect is there a is there a office on a high street that i can walk into yeah so tell uh, us about yeah that. so we've got our office in
1: in sydney road brunswick so it's upstairs uh level one um and people come in it's a drop-in service um you'll be met by um a youth worker um and look we don't we don't sit in an office and, and get a pen and paper we Rather, just go grab a coffee and go for a walk. Uh, make it an unofficial thing. Like, people are just sick of sitting in an office where – because they already get interrogated in an office. You know, if they do something bad, you're in an office. You know, yeah. just take them out of the scenario. Just yeah. go do something. Go kick a footy and have a discussion. Uh,
0: okay. Um, that's how we do it. Uh, amazing. Um, now, how do you make money? Uh, that's, the, that's the difficult part. That's a part I never wanted to deal with, to be
1: honest. Right. Um, But I had to learn how to um, – you know, get money in the door or else yeah. you can't do any of this. And well,
0: maybe maybe the, it's an unfair. How do you make money? That's the wrong question. How uh, do you generate funds?
1: How do you generate funds is the right way because yeah. we're not a private yes. <laughs> entity. Um, we have through federal government, state government and philanthropic and businesses.
0: Okay. So you've got federal government, state government, philanthropic businesses. Awesome. Now, I know...
1: And general donations. So uh, donations uh, yeah. That
0: yeah. by the open. and And... and I'm thinking Reach and you. Have you? Have you? I, I assume you've connected to Reach, and that they you, there's stuff to learn from. You know, they've done it a bit longer than you. That's the only reason I say that. The, the Reach Foundation. Yeah, I went there as a
1: Year Nine student. Yeah. I met Jim Steins there. Actually, yeah. you'd yeah. be surprised. Well, um, you, you are Jim Steins, right? <laughs> so yeah, tell us. Um, yeah, I met, I met Jim Steins there when um, I was in Year you Nine. Know, went to Collingwood, um, you know, and we had to do. Different activities for the, we were there for the day as, yeah. as, as you know, and students, and it was actually a, one of my most enjoyable experiences as a, as a young kid. Yeah. And it's funny you say you have you um, connected with uh, the Reach Foundation because I've got a meeting next week. Um, I think it's on Tuesday, Wednesday morning yeah. with the Reach CEO. So <laughs> there you go, a donor's connected us. A, a, one of our donors, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, the new CEO of Reach. and in, in fact, yes, yeah. Fergus Watts. That's it. Well, I think you'll have a, I think there's lots of stuff there that you know you, you can learn from each other. I mean, absolutely. that, that is very exciting. Um, so the funds, is there enough? Um, it's always it's always the
1: thing in the non for profit world. Is there yeah. enough? Um, look, we're grateful for what we have. Let yeah. me just say that. Yeah. Um, but we would obviously like to expand and, and do more. Um, how
0: many people are, are working at Youth Activating Youth? Ten. Ten. How many people would you like to have there? Maybe another 10 would help <laughs> yeah okay fair enough yeah now we've got Freddie here Freddie um, Freddie is one of the good ones that produce these podcasts for Sayers group um, and um, I just I just wrote Freddie a little note saying if you've got a question or, or you know to ask um, please do um, you guys are around about the same age and I know you've got sort of various net you intertwine in various networks as well so yeah. I'm just going to swing the microphone over here yes. and see um, if Freddie's got anything to say Freddie over to you. Thank you, Russ, and hey, Amit. Um, uh, you mentioned just before um, uh, that the money side of things uh, was something that you never really uh, wanted to learn, or to you know you weren't perhaps naturally interested in so much as you know the youth and uh, maybe what we will call more of the work itself. Um, so I was just wondering, as you've gotten older and your responsibilities have become sort of more organizational, um, how has your relationship with youth changed? And do you have any thoughts about as you grow older, as you, you know, hit 30, 40, 50, how are you going to be able to connect with these, you know, disaffected kids?
1: Uh, it's a very good question. And um, firstly, yeah, I didn't I, – I just wanted to work with young people. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to get things done in, in a sense. But I realised that resources, you know, always, you know, they were at the heart of everything you do. You need you need connections, you need people providing pro bono or even, you know, covering some of the costs um, and finding donors, uh, whether it be philanthropic or, or government, to come on board. And we had to establish that from the get-go, establish relationships. When you don't have track record, no-one knew two young African males coming out, one eighteen, one twenty four, running mm. around, co-founding a non-for-profit, <laughs> two tall timbers running around the CBD yeah. saying, <laughs> wearing suits running around saying... you know we'll do this we'll do this and you have got no track record you've got no backers you've got no real mentors that are recognized in that Mm. field and you've slowly got to develop that and it was one of the most difficult things in my life I've seen is that we do some amazing work people love our work but people never trust you enough to actually back you in all the way yeah right and we realised that in 2016 and went through a, a – so 2015 we did the running around. We were investing our own money into this, to be yeah, honest. Right, yeah. So we'd work in other jobs and whatever money we had, we'd run programs with that and, and put that through the organisation so that um, so that we could get things up, so that we could have a track record of delivering something, um, put the early investment, we'll put the seed investment and look, you know, hopefully someday some good person will come along. Um, and, you know – it was quite funny because we had to set up a board. Now, how do you find a chairman? How, how do, you go to, do you go down the road? Do you, do you just um, think? So it was funny. One night, um, so we had to set up a board of people who are actually have got certain skills. So we've, we've done a matrix and went through this. And um, we had to do this ourselves too. It wasn't like PwC would help us out of or yeah, yeah, someone yeah. was around. There was no advisory body. Um, so we set it up ourselves, searched up Google. Up a matrix, um, and the matrix said, "Look, you've got to get a chair. You got to get a deputy. You got to get a treasurer, and you got to fill up some key posts and make sure that they're people who are credential or have exist a long um, work experience in that area." Uh, and so we had to find a chairman. And where would you find your chairman? So one day we got invited. Um, so we were collecting people. We we're just meeting with people and collecting names and numbers and potential people who could be a chair. And then you, you, what you find all of a sudden is half the people you, you've got on your list haven't even sat on a board. So you'll be like, okay. yeah, you're going to start over again. <laughs> um, and we went one day, me and my colleague, we got invited to a, an iftar dinner. So during Ramadan, yeah. when Muslims fast, it's 30 days. So the magistrate's court held one. And we got seated um, in front of the magistrate, the chief magistrate. I forgot her name. Um, and... and we had uh, a bloke to to the left of me. It was um, he was there? He was on the board of the Judicial College, um, and he was on the board of Carlton for a number of years. And and he was he was he, he had a, a fantastic resume. Yeah, and we just looked at him. He had a nice suit, and we're like, yeah, yeah this guy looks like a chairman. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, oh, could we get your number? And he goes, oh, let me know how I can help you guys. And you know, we didn't discuss the board thing. We just, oh, you know, if you could help us, you could help us. Yeah, and. Who, uh, we just we just met with him um and you know that's how it started and then you know once you get your, your, your chair position then you can fill all the roles um with 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 um, you know growing up and 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 that that vision of of making sure that you know I, how I stay engaged these days look I, I my job I used to love every fortnight. Part of my job used to be to just go into the prison, spend a the day there to, with disadvantage. If I'm going to go advocate on their behalf, if I'm going to go and speak on their behalf, then I have to be in the prison. And it was the best part of the job, to be honest, because you wear your your sneakers, you wear your uh, your Nike top. You go, you go there, you play basketball, you encourage them. Some people are just having a difficult time; they're locked up in their cells the whole day. So what we provide is not only that serious, like oh, get a job, get a job, but just Engage with them, listen to them They might have They have fascinating ideas They have ideas that they want to come back as mentors And like part of me Always is Just listen Just have the time to listen to them Too many times we try to provide advice to these kids uh, But they've heard too much yeah. They hear from their parents They hear from their siblings They hear from their You know Ten other people Be the person The who media is, yeah, the me- <laughs> have, yeah from everyone So what we really do is we listen And to answer your question my goal is to, to to motivate someone who's been through the system and has struggled to come up as a leader and lead this organisation going forward. And what we already do today is that we get young people who've been through the system and been rehabilitated to actually come back as volunteers and come back and do some work with us to mentor that next generation Wonderful. and to say, don't go back
0: there. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what you need to do. So... Ahmed, it's been great chatting to you. Um, you're a great networker too, uh, you know. And when when I, you know, so from a philanthropic perspective, you've got some great philanthropists involved. We try. You have. You've got. You've done incredibly well. Uh, and obviously, corporates and business and government, state and federal, it's just an it's an incredible achievement um, what you've done. Uh, I'm sure that you know your parents must be extremely proud of you. They ought to be. Um, and the community must be just thrilled that you and your co-founder. Have um, created youth, activating youth. Um, it's been thrilling talking to you. Is there anything that you wanted to say that my questions haven't allowed you to say?
1: No, I think we we um, we covered most things um, very well. Um, but it's it, I just want you know leave. I, I want to leave you with this: it's, it's to think of what does a fairer society look like, and a fairer society. And we've seen the pandemic how it rips people apart, and as we recover. A fairer society is making sure that people of all kinds can participate in all facets of society, not in just, you know, not only, you know, the, the, the sporting side of it or the food and the dance and the arts, but the economic participation, the education, the academia, making sure that we have them all, you know, It's uh, I think for too many times people, diverse people are only seen because of the different type of hair or the food or the different dress they were, yeah. but you ought to go look out and actually, you know, Try something from, and and see what these communities are actually about because they all have different experiences that can give us a perspective on life. You know, it's 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 nice now. Now we're opening up, but you know, I, w- I was saying recently, too many businesses in in the pandemic went under because they didn't have a representational body that would, or association that were. But too many people from diverse communities, we need to empower them. We need to in, in bring them to you know, you know, we need to bring them along on this journey that we're going, and this is the perfect time. As we recover, we can do a nice jobs and skills forum, you know, with the Prime Minister and and the federal government's doing, but we need to do that as a society and move forward.
0: I like it a lot. Uh, I've always liked the idea that diversity and inclusion, it's an economic argument, right, in that we're all better off. Correct. Yeah, as a result. And as you say, it's not just about, you know, the music and the sport, it's about all facets of society Hey, Ahmed, you're a dead set champ. It's been fantastic chatting to you. Congratulations on everything you've done. I have a feeling the journey has only, only just begun. Good man. (laughs) Thank you for enabling me. Thank you for having me.